Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today we're going to bring you another exclusive interview on the latest in our Thinking Forward series. During the current crisis, we're talking with leaders from across motorsport to hear how they're reacting to these unprecedented challenges. In this episode, Motorsport Network President James Allen and Motorsport.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble spoke with Red Bull team boss Christian Horner. They discussed Red Bull's position in the current budget cap debate and some of the solutions that could follow these critical negotiations. They also asked how F1's 2020 season could start at the Red Bull Ring in July, as well as discussed the logistical challenges of managing a team racing at a closed-doors event, as well as Red Bull's part in the UK's emergency ventilator manufacturing project. Christian, thank you so much for making the time to join us on this hashtag Thinking Forward series. So you obviously look well ensconced in your house there and keeping it all together. Um, apparently, the word for crisis in, in Chinese is represented by two characters, the word for danger and the word for opportunity. And I wonder when, when we think about this crisis, where do you see the balance between those two as far as what the sport is actually facing here between danger and opportunity? Well, obviously, this crisis has affected, you know, the whole, the whole world, every industry in the world, and sport is no different. And of course, you know, Formula One as a global world championship has been, you know, very heavily affected. But I think that, you know, in times of adversity, people do come together. We've, I've seen it in our own team um, and uh, within the sport as a whole. And I think, you know, by and large, everybody's focused on the right things in terms of ensuring that Formula One, you know, survives, that it does eventually get going, um, that it does it in a safe and responsible, uh, you know, manner. Um, but, you know, times like this do put things into perspective that, uh, you know, there's more important things in life sometimes other than, 
than, than sport, obviously. Nothing is more important than life itself. When the world returns to, to, to normal after this crisis period, or the new normal, what do you think will be different about it as far as motorsport is concerned? I think that you know there's an awful lot going on now to try and protect the future and to make Formula One sustainable, to make sure we protect you know all of the uh, all of the entrants. Um, you know what will be different? I, I, it's difficult to imagine that you know crowds of people are just going to rush back to, to to venues. I think there will be a natural nervousness, you know, to do that, and that doesn't just affect Formula One; that affects you know, every sport, every every form of entertainment or music festival, for example. So I think it's going to be a gradual, um, you know, reintroduction. And I think that, you know, in times of hardship, you, you, you have to think differently. You have to think outside the box. And I think, you know, Formula One has had to do that during this period. And uh, uh, that ultimately will define its future. Christian, you're a vastly experienced team principal. You speak a lot to people in the motorsport sector and the automotive sector. Where do you feel the priorities are right now? And how well placed do you think Formula One is with this kind of a new generation of team principals, a, you know, a different profile of team principals we had in the past to be able to react and respond in the right way? Well, I think that you know, where, where we are right now, I think, you know, first of all, is the, the safety of our staff, safety of the public, safety of the fans. And I think everything that's been done, um, you know, with the extended shutdowns, with the, the delaying and, and cancellation of races have all been, you know, the right things um, to do. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, obviously freezing the cars over into 2021 and, you know, some really responsible, uh, you know, actions. You know, of course, the financial crisis in 2008 was, you know, similar in certain respects in that it forced the teams to to pull together to work, you know, collectively. And, uh, you know, there were some pretty strong characters back in, you know, at that time, you know, the likes of Flavio Briatore, Ron Dennis, um, you know, and when you go further back again to, for example, you know, the, the issue that we had with, with Michelin and Bridgestone, you know, the likes of Jean Todd and, and, and so on. So, um, obviously, you know, nothing prepares you for, for what we've, uh, you know, what we're currently facing. And you just try and use common sense and use experience to help, you know, guide your way through it. And, you know, obviously there's a few team principals that haven't been through those kind of experiences previously. And, um, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's therefore important that you know the sport leans on the experience. So people like, for example, Ross Braun, who's lived through a crisis of his own with you know Braun GP and Honda and, and and so on. I think that that life experience is invaluable. Same for same for Jean Todd, and I think that um, you know it's harnessing that experience. There's a huge logistical challenge to get. Formula One races back on again, um, you know, different countries, different procedures, different travel restrictions. But how important is it going to be to get going, even if it means no spectators for six races or eight races? Well, Red Bull are really committed to, to getting the championship off the ground. They put in huge effort to get, you know, the race underway in Austria. Um, it's a circuit that's owned by Red Bull, so it's it's obviously within their control. But they're working with the local authorities and the government, and of course, you know, screening and testing and the restrictions that are going to be in place. 
uh, are going to be pretty draconian. But it, if it allows the sport to start up again, I think will be a, um, a blueprint for other circuits to follow. And uh, I think that, you know, people will probably be going a little stir crazy, you know, at home with no live sport, you know, across, you know, all, all platforms at the moment. And I think that, you know, sport at the end of the day is a form of entertainment. And uh, I think Formula One can play a positive role in providing some entertainment, um, you know, by the time we get to, to July. So, Christian, just picking up on what you're saying there about, about the Red Bull ring, I mean, how confident are you that that's going to be achievable for, for early July with all that's going on behind the scenes with, with governments, etc.? And does Formula One, for the first few months of the season at least, essentially become a, a small travelling band that's constantly being tested, that has government-backed fast tracks into and out of countries, etc., as the Olympics has done in the past, in order to get some races onto live TV to satisfy the demand from the consumers, the broadcasters, and, and, and even Liberty shareholders. Yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of coordination between the guys at Liberty and FOM and, and uh, you know, the Red Bull Ring Circuit with the authorities. And I guess that's happening with other uh, venues and, and, and promoters. And you're absolutely right. I think when we do get going again, it's going to be like, you know, creating a, a tight group of people, probably less than 80 people within a team. They're all going to have to stay in the same hotel. They're all going to have to travel together. They're not going to be able to interface with other teams. Um, so there's going to be you know, some quite strict um, you know, restrictions. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of testing, a lot of screening. We won't be interacting with uh, you know, the local community as well. So, um, yeah, I think that there's going to be procedures in place that are designed to protect both the competitors and um, uh, take the necessary precautions for, you know, the hosts of, this, of, of these races as well. So um, it's not going to be a, uh, a standard Grand Prix format by any shape or form. And when Formula One talks about trying to fit ideally 15, maybe even 18 races into a very narrow time frame from that point onwards, what are your priorities in terms of the duty of care that you have? I think we have to look after utmost and foremost our staff. You know, we can't burn them out um, thrashing around the world trying to rush in 18 races. Um, you know, obviously everybody is at home, uh, you know, resting up at the moment because when they do come back, it's going to be a massive slog between, you know, beginning of July and the, and the end of the year. So, and I think, you know, the guys at Liberty, they're taking that, that seriously as well, that I think we'll have triple header races. I can't see... Um, four consecutive races in, in, in a row. I'd be, be surprised uh, if that were to happen. But, uh, you know, they've got a logistical calendar that they need to make work as well. And, you know, the ambition is somewhere between 15 and 18 races, which does seem, you know, optimistic. But then, you know, you've got to have targets. You've uh, often argued in the past, and you said a moment ago, that Formula One should be viewed as an entertainment platform rather than a sport with a sense of purpose for developing technologies for the future. We'll come on to talk about the, the ventilator projects and things like that in, in, in a moment when it comes to sense of purpose. But does your view of entertainment versus technology and sense of purpose change now as a result of this crisis? And is the need for the sport to have that sense of purpose central to its future prospects, do you think? Well, I think all sport, you know, people turn on sport because they want to be entertained. They want to be wowed. 
Um, I don't think it's because how many cylinders we've got in the engine or or what tire pressures we're running. I think it's um, you know down to the tech. You know the technology provides uh, the wherewithal for the entertainment. That there is this competition, this enormous engineering competition between you know teams over the course of the season. But ultimately, I think what the fans want to see is wheel to wheel racing. They want to see their drivers be the heroes, for them to be the major differentiator, not the engine or the chassis. Um, and uh, that, you know, the best drivers are going wheel to wheel. And at the end of the year, that ultimately it's the best driver that does come through uh, and win. So, yes, Formula One is absolutely, uh, you know, entertainment and all the politics that go on. Uh, behind the scenes as well are all part of the soap opera that is Formula One. Now, you know, obviously there is a technical purpose to it as well, um, and some technology does find its way into the automotive fit industry, but primarily it is a global marketing program for brands to advertise themselves. Um, so, uh, you know, as I say, uh, Formula One and sport in general, it, you know, people want to watch a, an exciting football game because you don't know who's going to win. And that's the same with a tennis match or any other form of sport. And, and Formula One is no different. Christian, one of the big political debates in Formula One at the moment is the budget cap. There's obviously two camps. There's the, the $150 million camp and the $100 million camp. And people's opinion seems divided. Where do you stand on that debate? And do you think there are other solutions and other answers like customer cars or a different approach for some teams that can be as equally as important? I think it's all gets blown out of proportion, becomes, you know, highly emotive. We're really focused on a, on a ceiling of the maximum that you can spend. Now, if I look back through my own experience, uh, you know, to Formula 2 or Formula 3000, if you take it to an extreme, there's a price list of parts that you can have. And you can either have a truck full of spares or you draw your spares when you crash the, crash the car and you risk having not as much stock. But you, you're limited by... Um, your ability to spend on in making the car competitive. And I think Formula One, if you take it to, uh, you know, it's extreme and you look at what are the cost drivers, the cost drivers are the research and development of these cars. So I think if you reduce the necessity to spend, a budget cap in many respects comes irrelevant. You know, what size motorhome you have or factory or, or you know, how many flowers you've got in the garden, it doesn't matter. And uh, I think that, you know, how can you compare a Ferrari and a Haas or a, uh, a Mercedes and a, and a Racing Point or even a, a, a Red Bull and an Alfa Tori? They're completely different scope of, uh, of, of teams. But if you're working all to a set of regulations that doesn't have the necessity to spend, the cap becomes far less emotive. And I think what concerns me as well is that all these companies have all got different structures. I mean, for example, Ferrari report one set of accounts for their entire business. How do you decipher what is a Formula One activity, what isn't? How do you apportion time? So it's an enormously complex thing to try and police. And I fear that we'll end up in an accounting world championship for the next five years. And it'll detract from, you know, what we should be focused on. So yes, I'm all for saving money. And a cap is a you know, as a reasonable thing. But if you don't go upstream and stop the, the flood of water, then you can't expect the cap to be the dam that captures it all. So it's very much about cutting off that supply of water upstream 
i.e. the regulations getting them under control, and I think a lot of good work has been done on that, then a cap becomes a balloon that is half filled. You know, you'll squeeze it and the, the air will rush somewhere else. And that's exactly the same with Formula One and Formula One teams. You'll restrict the amount of money you can spend in one area and it'll rush straight towards another. What areas then would you like to see the focus on to, to stop this the flood then, so to speak? I think what we've done for 2020 and 2021 is really responsible, effectively freezing you know, the chassis, um, all major components of the chassis. And so, yes, we can update the car aerodynamically over the next 18 months, but the 2020 and 2021 season is essentially going to be the same car. Now, personally, I wouldn't have bought the regulations in in 22. I'd have waited another year for till 23 and for things to, uh, to, to settle down because anything you change drives cost. And so we've got a very expensive set of regulations coming in for 2022, which is going to drive an awful lot of cost with test cars and tire testing and, and, and interim cars, you know, next, next year. So, and it doesn't quite feel the right time to be doing that. Now, the argument against that is that you lock in a competitive, you know, advantage. But I think what they're talking about and looking at with some kind of sliding scale on the wind tunnel CFD um, uh, ratio that the winner has the least amount of time in the wind tunnel um, on a linear basis to 10th um, that gives you know the opportunity for more development um, you know to enable your car to improve and go faster for the teams that uh, you know in descending order in the championship have you got faith that teams are putting self-interest to one side for once and thinking the bigger picture or do you still think that some of the arguments being thrown about are about gaining a competitive advantage? Well, I think there's an element, there's always an element of that. And of course, you, you know, I think by and large, the focus has been on the right things in terms of, you know, focusing on the cost savers, trying to work with the promoters and the governing body to ensure that Formula One survives. But I, th I think inevitably there's a bit of land grabbing going on. You know, the teams that, that have got bare cars, that there's not many sponsors on them, um, you know, see as an opportunity to, to, you know, reduce the competitiveness of the uh, of, of the leading teams to bring them to their level. Um, and somebody's always going to finish first and somebody's always going to finish 10th. And I can guarantee you with what's in the pipeline, it'll be the same teams that are running at the front and it'll be the same teams running at the back. So drawing all this together, do you think that it's a time for being bold, Christian? Do you think that the whole current F1 business structure needs to be Will it be sustainable going forward? Uh, and is it a time to be bold and really grasp the nettle to, to shape it for, for after this pandemic that you're advocating? I absolutely, I absolutely, now is the time to be bold. Now is the time to um, you know, influence change. We can tickle things, but I think you've got to, you've got to grab the, you know, uh, you've got to grab the ball by the horns, so excuse the pun, but, um, you know, so from from my perspective, what I've been pushing for years that if 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 I was running a smaller team, the the fastest way to competitiveness at a cost effective route would be rather than trying to reverse engineer and copy um, your supplier team, which is happening in many cases. Why not just sell them the whole car, the whole car at the end of the year? So the car we finish in Abu Dhabi, let them let them have it. And then they can operate as a race team. They don't need all the research and development facilities. It's their fastest route to competitiveness um, and their cheapest route as well. 
Um, so they could operate as a race team with a decent, you know, product. Um, and a together race team, is, you know, they can win races. I mean, we proved that with um, Toro Rosso and Sebastian Vettel when we were supplying them effectively a customer car, um, you know, back in 2008. Um, but there's this paranoia about being a constructor and what you're giving up if you're not a constructor. It works in other forms of motorsport in, in MotoGP. And so if you could buy a Mercedes, buy a uh, Ferrari or a Red Bull at, you know, after Abu Dhabi, why, why wouldn't you? One thing that has changed since the days that you spoke about earlier with the, the great big beasts, the team principles and the great battles that they had in the past is that now there's a safeguarding clause because we're in a crisis which allows for a different type of, of decision-making on the majority in terms of the short term. Do you see that being absolutely critical to the, the outcome here? Yeah, I mean, you've got to be a little bit careful with that because, you know, teams still have engines. You know, engine suppliers tend to wield quite, an awful, uh, quite a lot of control over their, um, over their supply team. So, um, you know, the, the whole essence is to ensure that Formula One survives, that, it's, that it, there's a business model for the existing teams to survive and that if they choose to exit, that it's attractive enough for others to come in and take their place. And I think that... You know, we can do that. And I think if we, for once, just put differences to one side, and it's a difficult path for, you know, liberty to tread and, 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 and the governing body. But I think that, you know, they absolutely have the right intentions. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully, you know, out of all of this, at a time when you need really strong leadership to say this is the way the boat's going, um, you know, we'll see that and come up with a set of clear regs for the future. On the subject of the manufacturers, um, the, we had uh, Stefano Domenicali on this hashtag Thinking Forward series, and he was saying that, as far as he's concerned, motorsport for those manufacturers who have a long commitment to it is, is always going to be part of their future, but the next few years is going to be a bit tricky for them, to say the very least, and protecting them is going to be vital. We saw Audi pulling out a DTM this week. Are you concerned or manufacturers might follow suit? And do you see any, any of that happening in Formula 1? I sat in all of the engine debate um, between the manufacturers, and I have to say they conducted themselves incredibly well. And they worked in the interest of the sport, in the interest of reducing their costs significantly, probably to the tune of 50% of where their current spend is by you know, reducing enormously the amount of dyno times, the development time, that they, they are allowed, the amount of upgrades that they are allowed in a single year. Um, and there was a real collective, collaborative approach to that. I mean, not once was a budget cap mentioned in those discussions because they just focused on the, on the cost drivers. And I think that hopefully will make uh, the sport more affordable, more cost sensitive for them. And at the end of the day, every manufacturer is involved in Formula One to promote their product. So if Formula One, is still attracting global audiences and is the right platform in which to um, promote their messaging, to promote their product, then if it's at an affordable price, those manufacturers will, will be there and hopefully in time we'll be able to attract yet more. The big concern at the moment for governments is the impact of a second wave of the virus as we ease the lockdown. I mean, if that, if that comes and there is no racing at all this year, what would be the financial impact on Red Bull, the personal impact on you? And you know, what's the message for Red Bull's fans? Are your teams safe and committed for the, the long term, whatever? 
we're a race team and um you know we need a championship to race in um so it's unimaginable not to go racing this year i don't think you know it would be enormously unlikely for there not a, to be an event to take place or a world championship to take place and you can see it's gathering momentum over the last you know couple of weeks you know trying to put you know scenarios into place to get to get going so i don't think there'll be a scenario where we won't race at all um you know this year and red bull is you know you know absolutely um committed you know to the sport we're we're all racers we're all diehard racers you know at heart and uh, fully committed um to supporting and being in the formula one world championship we believe we've got a great team we believe we can when we get going hopefully take a fight to um to mercedes and hopefully give fans something really to uh to get behind and enjoy and follow and watch and whether you're a max verstappen fan or a lewis hamilton fan or a ferrari fan um or or any other fan that you 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 got something to root for and um I don't think we'll have to wait to 2021 for that to happen. And Red Bull's not just involved in Formula One. You've been very committed to junior categories and young drivers throughout the years. What's your commitment there at the moment? And do you feel the FIA needs to put a big focus in maybe consolidating the, the, the junior categories? Yeah, I mean, Red Bull is across all forms of motorsport, um, you know, whether that be rallying, you know, single-seater racing, um, you know, motorbikes, uh, rally cross, you know, all forms of motorsport Red Bull has an involvement in. And of course, it's been absolutely committed to its junior program for over the last 20 years. So, um, you know, inevitably, focus does need to be placed on those categories. I think there has been a tidying up in recent years, but more work does need to be to be done. Um, to ensure that we're getting the right talent coming into the sport, that the sport is affordable um, and that, uh, you know, Grand Prix teams and manufacturers and, and, and groups like Red Bull, um, you know, are there to be able to support and nurture young talent. And finally, Christian, uh, a note on the project pit lane uh, that was happening earlier on in the beginning of this crisis and continues. You were involved as Red Bull Racing in the Blue Sky ventilator project working with the British government and the National Health Service etc ultimately it wasn't needed but you you tooled up for it and was were involved in that what did that say about innovation and Formula One's engineering prowess I think it said a huge amount for Formula One I mean we uh, approached the government as soon as we uh, saw this crisis you know uh, looming um, and you know then got in coordination with other uh, other teams as well and and we identified a project that we were assigned to um, and we were assigned to it with uh, with with Renault um, and, and I was astounded to see the um, uh, the volunteers that stepped forward you know unconditionally 24 7 to support this project we had people like our chief designer Rob Marshall um, you know working I think he did sort of three successive all-nighters on it um, unbelievable efforts that were going in to turn what was um, a fairly rudimentary concept into a fully functional, fully developed ventilator. Now, we housed all of that in Milton Keynes. And at that point, you know, your competitive spirit goes out the window. It's about coming up with solutions. And so we had people from Renault working in our factory in their own team kits, 
in our race bays, in our facility, unthinkable under normal circumstances. We have Bob Bell working alongside, you know, Rob Marshall, coming up with solutions that astounded, um, you know, the, the industry that not only could a solution, the speed at which, you know, Formula One operates, because the solution was identified and machined overnight and running on a rig by the time they come back in the following morning. And what would have normally taken three years was actually done in three and a half weeks. And so, of course, there was a degree of disappointment when um, they don't, didn't go into flat-out production whilst we were geared up to, to do that. Um, but then also, when you thought about it, it was actually a very good thing that they weren't required because it meant that the, the, the need on the national health wasn't so dire that these emergency ventilators were going to be required, that the ventilators in action were able to deal with um, you know, what uh, the pandemic's um, providing at the moment. But I think it highlighted Formula One's ingenuity, its ability to problem solve, rapid prototype, and come up with fixes, and just the can-do attitude and never-be-beaten philosophy of, of Formula One. And I think it epitomized all the positives about, about the sport and some of the, the cleverest and brightest engineers um, you know, in, in the country that, that work in Formula One. Very well said. Well, Christian, thank you, as always, very much for your time and for your, and for your insights today on this hashtag Thinking Forward series. I hope you stay safe and stay well with your family and uh, you're able to manage this time in lockdown. And uh, if you're looking for some content, I hear on Netflix there's a really good series called Drive to Survive with uh, <laughs> dashing young team owners and uh, lots of other interesting characters and rogues. So maybe recommend that to you. Very good. Very good. Well, keep safe, everybody, and uh, yeah, hopefully see you all soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed the latest interview in our Thinking Forward series. And thanks to James, John and Christian. Tell us what you think of these shows on our social media channels using the handle at Autosport. Recent interviewees include Jean Todd, David Richards, Alejandro Agag and Stefano Domenicali. Finally, do check out all the latest stories on autosport.com and motorsport.com. And thanks to our editor Martin Lee for editing this episode. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.